Mars to Earth. Yikes, yeah. What are you, are you on the space station? <laughs> no, I'm just here at the Mars compound. There you go. All right, you ready to rock and roll? Is this Tim? This, <laughs> yes, I should have. I should have led with that. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, America! Kind of hard to believe that uh, you know nine years have brought the water under the bridge. Back in the 60s, if uh, if, a, if some cops had shown up in body armor and machine guns and said, you know, you do what we say, uh, there would have been a great resistance. And people would have said, hey, wait a minute, you work for us. You know, yeah. <laughs> you can't treat us this way. But over the intervening years, slowly and surely, it just got to the point to where now today people just accept this militarized police force. And what's scary to me, Tim, yep. is that in the coming future, you know, the young people of the day, this is what they've grown up with, and they're not even going to know the difference. The upside of the Internet is that anybody and everybody has access to the Internet. Now, the downside is that anybody and everybody has access <laughs> to the Internet. Ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio, with your host, Tim Banal. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the season premiere of BOA Audio Season 9, getting ready to kick off our ninth series of interviews here on the program. Very, very excited about it. I think this is the first time I've talked to our guest here at the beginning of the year, as well as the beginning of the season. So this is kind of exciting, and uh, we're going to be covering sort of uh, all the interesting things that have gone on since the last time we talked to him, because of course, as is tradition on the program, he kicks off every season of BOA Audio, because he really is one of the first people to inspire me to look into all this with his outstanding book, Rule by Secrecy. Of course, I am talking about the amazing Jim Mars author of Crossfire, as said, Rule by Secrecy, Alien Agenda, Psy Spies, Inside Job, Above Top Secret, Rise of the Fourth Reich, The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy, and the fiction book Sisterhood of the Rose, as well as his latest book, which we talked about when we kicked off Season 8, Our Occulted History, and you can find out all about that stuff at JimMars.com. Jim, welcome back to the show. Thank you for helping us kick off a whole new season of BOA Audio. Well, thank you, Tim. It's always a delight to be with you. It's kind of hard to believe that, uh, you know, nine years have brought the water under the bridge. Uh, and also, be, be on the alert, because within the next few months, you're going to see a new Jim Mars book coming out that you're going to really like called Population Control. Oh, nice, nice. The, the uh, corporate elite are trying to kill us. Okay, so this makes uh, some of the movements we see going like Arab Spring and the Occupy movement and, uh, you know, this, this thirsting for uh, more freedom and liberty. We're, we're going to see this uh, uh, gaining even more strength once people figure out that this is not just some political argument. This is self-defense. 
these people that own these multinational corporations that are killing us with bad food, bad water, bad GMOs, uh, bad vaccines. I mean, they make no bones about the fact that they want us dead. They want to reduce the world's population. I know that's been one of your, uh, you've been really warning people about this for quite some time. I, I remember, uh, you, you've been really beating the drum on this, especially in, uh, I don't, I don't know if it was, I don't recall now, I've read them all, but uh, I get them confused. I don't know if it was our occulted history or the trillion, I think it was the trillion dollar conspiracy. Spent a lot of time talking about mm-hmm. the GMOs and the uh, all, all kinds of stuff related to that. So it sounds like an expansion right. and, of all and that. It, Interesting. It's just getting worse. You know, yeah. <laughs> 80% of our food supply today has GMOs in it. And uh, although there is a legitimate uh, controversy over, you know, the, the goodness or the badness, of genetically modified organisms, the ball-faced fact is, is that there are indications that it can be harmful, that it might even be altering our DNA. And the main point is, is that uh, the main fact is, is that nobody truly knows what long-term effects are going to be when they start uh, throwing in um, inter- other species uh, genetic material into our food. Well, they just they just go willy nilly to make make money. They don't care what happens to people. Look at all the cell phones everywhere. They don't, you know. <laughs> I know. You know. Now here's the thing. You know. First off, I, I got a cell phone. Everybody got a cell phone, and they're wonderful little things. Particularly if you get stuck out in the middle of nowhere and your car breaks down, uh, you, you know, it's a it's a, a God's gift that you have a cell phone to call for some help. But I can't help but think of these people, especially younger people, who go throughout the day holding that radio. Tra- transmitter, you know, receiver up to their head, you know? Yeah. Uh, there's been too many tests showing that it causes cancers. And uh, one of the proofs of this, by the way, was a few years ago there was a law enforcement uh, union that was suing uh, some local municipalities because the cops had been using these handheld radar guns uh, and they they would aim them forward down the road, and then if no cars were coming, they they didn't turn them off. They just laid them in their lap. Right. And uh, a bunch of these guys were coming down with testicular cancer. Yikes! And look how many people keep their phone in their pocket. That's scary. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> and I, I I got concerned about that too because I I, uh, I carried mine on a little holster thing on my hip. You know, yeah. but it's it's right there close to the. Close to the junk. Exactly. Yeah, it's close to. Yeah, it's close to business. It's close to business. Uh, now uh, it's been about. It's been over a year since I talked to you last. We kicked off season eight in uh, October 2013. Here we are, January uh, 2015. So 14 months or so since the last time I talked to you. What, what have you been up to? What, how was your 2014? Is probably the best way to put it. What was? What went on for you in the last year or so? Oh, just the usual stuff. Keep in mind. See, I'm. Uh, I don't live in a city. I don't even live in a town. I'm out in the out in the wilds of North Texas here, and uh, for me, other than the season changes, not much uh, happens to me personally, but of course, uh, I sit there and uh, I consider myself a news magnet Mm. because I have people, uh, readers from all over the world who send me uh, uh, clippings and items and, you know, things, even their thoughts and and everything else, and so it's kind of like I'm sitting in a uh, satellite and, and overlooking the 
the world and see <laughs> yeah. what's going on. And I, I got to admit, it's a pretty pitiful picture because although there's lots of good stuff going on on the individual level, uh, there are more and more people waking up uh, to the uh, uh, corruption and the problems with centralized government. And there's more and more people waking up to the dangers of processed food and GMOs and herbicides that they're throwing everywhere, creating super weeds and, and, uh, bi- antibiotic, uh, you know, uh, yeah. suppression. Uh, and so, and so in, in one way, really good things are happening and you can always find examples of individuals that are just doing wonderful, loving, helpful things. But in the broad picture, when you see the shaky financial situation of the entire world, and uh, and then you see the hatred and violence that's being perpetrated in the name of religion, it's, you know, it's like, what's wrong with people? You know, sometimes I just want to wish I could get hold of everybody and shake them by the lapels and say, hey. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. Start start using that God-given computer in your head called the brain and and figure some of this stuff out. Let's start start getting with the program. Yeah, yeah. Well, here's an interesting question. I kind of came to you while you were talking there. I was thinking about all the years we've been chatting and you know, it's. I agree with you. People are waking up year by year, but it's like here you and I are kicking off the ninth season of the show. Ninth time we've sort of talked about this. It's like how many more people do you think need to wake up before we reach some kind of mass? Uh, you know, you're seeing more people sort of gathering and stuff. But are we reaching any sort of state where things might? Yeah, change? we need to reach a tipping point. Right. Exactly. You know, how far away from this tipping point do you think we are? You know what? I, I'm not sure we're that far away. I think we're getting pretty close, and I think that's why that the would-be rulers of the world, the one percent, the the uh, uh, secret team, <laughs> the <laughs> Illuminati, the New World Order guys, whatever you want to call them, okay. I think they're getting very fearful, and I think they're getting pushed up against the wall. And, of course, they're going to be just like a cornered wild animal. Uh, the more pressure that's put on them, the, uh, the uh, more uh, violence uh, counterattack there's going to be. Um, and this is what's very worrisome because, uh, you know, first, see, in my lifetime, which has not been inconsiderable now, uh, I have lived through the international menace of the Jewish conspiracy, and when that culminated in World War II and the Holocaust, people went, wait a minute, this, this isn't right. So then immediately we returned to the international communist conspiracy, uh, you know, and that went on for about 70 years. And... Uh, and then all of a sudden, communism just kind of collapsed, and all of a sudden, we were in a vacuum, you know. Why do we need this super military-industrial complex, you know, when yeah. there's no real enemies? Uh, so, all of a sudden, oh, we've got al-Qaeda, and we've got the uh, Muslim extremists, all right? And then, uh, and now, <clears throat> since that's uh, waning somewhat, now we got ISIS. Right, you know? right. And, uh, of course, if you go back to... Uh, uh, Carol Rosen, who was a uh, head of Fairchild Industries and worked very closely with the old Nazi rocket scientist, Werner von Braun, and she said that he uh, uh, certainly understood this plan because he said when uh, communism finally was not the ultimate uh, evil enemy, that it would be terrorists probably from the Middle East. And he said when that fails to work, then it's going to be uh, a threat from space. 
Okay, and I think we're getting very close to that point where they're going to these uh, would-be rulers, these self-styled globalists, are going to suddenly come out and go. In fact, I just heard today. I've not heard all the details, but that they they are releasing further information from Project Blue Book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but I don't know about you, Jim, but for you know, for my own entertainment's sake, I look forward to when the aliens are the great menace because at least it'll be that'll be like living in the sci-fi world. That's right. That's right. <laughs> exactly. But the, you know, talk about a good is, story. The problem is, how are we going to know if it's real or another false flag? Exactly. Well, we won't even, yeah, that, the whole world will because, change at that point. That's just scary. <laughs> well, everyone who knows anything about the military knows that they have access and are working on advanced technology that's 20, 30, 50 years hmm. ahead of anything we have in the public. And, uh, in fact, this was one of the reasons that the false flag attack of 9-11 was so successful is because uh, it involved some very advanced technologies that were just simply not known to the public. And so, therefore, the government could offer uh, whatever cockamamie cover story they wanted to, and uh, hardly anyone was in a position to rebut it. Mm. And so now, you know, I, I could see where uh, with, holographic uh, technology we have today, they could make Muhammad appear in the sky over Muslims' countries and probably get half the world, uh, you know, trying to fight the other half. And, mm. Or in, in the case of the United States and Christian nations, I guess they could make Jesus appear, you know. So right. It, it's really kind of a <laughs> kind of a worrisome thing about it. We, we, do, how do we know what's real and what's uh, being fabricated? Well, the good part is it seems like people are becoming more and more cynical to that whole idea. Because, uh, you know, true. if Jesus appeared in the sky tomorrow, I can tell you that I, I don't think even the majority of people would believe it was real. That's right. And I'll I'll tell you something that's very, uh, to me, that's hopeful that people are becoming. It's sad that we have to become so cynical because I was raised in the post-World War II days when, you know, we were all living in euphoria thinking, well, we've just made the world safe for democracy and we've defeated the evil old Nazis and the evil old Japanese militants and, you know, we're God's gift to the world. And and it's kind of sad that now we're more and more people are waking up to the reality. Reality, but it, it, that's definitely happening. Uh, there was a, a poll a few months back uh, by Gallup that uh, showed that uh, the uh, Supreme Court uh, only has a 35% approval rating. But that's better. But that's better than President Obama, who is now down to his lowest approval rating ever, which is like about twenty twenty nine percent, I think. But then both of them look like pillars of integrity compared to Congress, who's down in the single digits. Seven, only seven percent of the people in this Gallup poll uh, thought that Congress was doing a decent job or had any confidence in Congress. Yeah. And now that's that's really an incredible thing because think about this, Tim, and uh, all your listeners. There's so many things we could be doing, should be doing, but ultimately it's going to boil down to changing or creating new laws. Okay, well then that means that that's going to have to be, according to the Constitution, done by the Congress. Oh, great. Congress can't even agree on when to adjourn. Yeah. You know, and here they're supposed to be coming up with uh, bills that could actually straighten out a lot of the problems in this country. Hmm. You know, it's the chances are little to none. Yeah, I don't even know how we're even going to get 
out of this mess. <laughs> Every time I talk to you, I... <laughs> I'm sorry. I no, no, no. It's all right. I don't mean to be a downer. No, man. You're the you're my bellwether of this whole situation. You follow this closer than I do. I try. I kind of I kind of whistle through the graveyard myself. So it's good. It's good to talk to you. Now, when we set up the whole interview in the first place, uh, about two weeks ago, this whole Charlie Hebka thing was going on in France. And yep. by the time people hear this, it's going to be like the first week in February. So by then, they're already Charlie Hebgood out. So let's, with that, just as a sort of jumping off point, in the last year since I talked to you, we've seen this ISIS thing come up. You already mentioned it. But what do you make of all this, that it's just well, let, kind of re, re, just, a reboot me, of al-Qaeda? Uh, yeah, exactly. It's another name change. See, if you go back and study your true history, you find that in the 1930s, uh, there was the rise of the Muslim Brotherhood uh, that were uh, devout Muslims and trying to establish a theocracy uh, in some of the Middle Eastern countries. And uh, they got taken over by the German Nazis because a fellow by the name of Hussein, who helped create uh, the Muslim Brotherhood, was a big fan of Adolf Hitler's, and he corresponded with him. And Hitler then sent a bunch of Germans down and, in fact, uh, talked to any World War II vet who fought in North Africa, and they will tell you that we had about as much trouble with some of the Arabs at that time as we did with the German Afrika Corps. Uh, and then after the war, when the British took over the uh, control of the Middle East, uh, they were war-weary and didn't have the money or the time or the inclination, so they turned the Muslim Brotherhood over to the, C the fledgling CIA. Well, the CIA then kept the Muslim Brotherhood on tap, and uh, in the 1980s, when uh, the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, uh, they used the Muslim Brotherhood uh, as our surrogates over there to fight the Russian occupation. And we supplied them with guns and arms and ammunition and training and everything else. Right. In fact, we brought a Muslim cleric uh, over to this country uh, under the name of Tim Osman, and we trained him and we armed him and we gave him funds to go back and fight the Russians. And, but he, his real name was Osama bin Laden. And uh, we, the higher-ups knew that uh, people would recognize that the Muslim Brotherhood was a uh, a former Nazi organization that was under the control of the CIA, so they had Osama bin Laden change the name to Al-Qaeda. And Al-Qaeda literally means the base. Well, early on, I thought that must mean their headquarters. But it turns out, according to a member of the British Parliament and to other whistleblowers within the CIA, that the base referred to the CIA computer base of, uh, of Arab mercenaries that they could call upon to do anything they wanted to do. Yeah, that And uh, so this, of course, leads to the false flag operation of 9-11. And then after that, and now, we see the same bunch of mercenaries, Arab mercenaries, uh, that as an offshoot of al-Qaeda, because now al-Qaeda, we've been told that, you know, that we killed Osama bin Laden and all the top leadership of al-Qaeda and that we've pretty well neutralized al-Qaeda, so they had to go somewhere else, so now they've created ISIS. And you have to ask yourself, where does this bunch of, of uh, Arabs with very little uh, money, funding, training, education, where do they get hold of all these brand-new Toyota 
pickup trucks and 50 caliber machine guns and and SAM missiles and and uh, RPGs and so, well, it's because we're selling to them and we're supplying them just like we have for decades. And so this leads me to the conclusion that uh, today in America we have the best enemies that money can buy. <laughs> Yeah, that's for sure. That's for sure. It seems it's very unsettling. I was thinking about it today uh, before we talked. It's, this is like the most creeped out and sort of un, un, uneasy I've felt about the world since like maybe a year or two after 9-11. Well, you know, and without getting, going getting too deeply creeped. into the uh, Paris uh, hmm. uh, Charlie Hubbo uh, situation, there, you know, it has all the earmarks of the false flag. Uh, the people involved, uh, there were some reports showing that, of course, they had their faces covered, but there were some reports that stated at least one of these guys had blue eyes. So, you know, it's not all just Arabs. And the fact that they had uh, modern, uh, sophisticated equi- uh, guns, weapons, equipment, they were making military hand signals. And then the uh, video of them shooting the policeman in the head uh, really bothers me because uh, I do know about having been in the military and having been in intelligence and having been a police reporter back in the day when we actually traveled with the cops and went into suicides and murder scenes and everything else, I can guarantee you if a person without any head cover is shot at point-blank range with a high-powered rifle, as supposedly was this case, uh, his head would have exploded like a watermelon, and it didn't happen. He just laid his head down. So there's some there is some contention that this uh, video was faked, and uh, and I think you know at first it went everywhere, and then it was pulled off of YouTube and off of some of the more prominent sites, <laughs> and I think that was for two reasons. The uh, ostensible reason was they didn't want to show this graphic video, but the next reason was is that it clearly shows that his his head does not react as one would if actually struck by a high velocity uh, rifle bullet. And the second thing was is if indeed was faked, then by keeping that video in front of people, uh, people with sophisticated equipment and knowledge might be able to figure out what a fake it is. And so. Uh, and then you also have to realize that they claim they found the intact passport of one of the attackers lying in the street. Oops, does that sound familiar? Yeah, yeah. Remember, remember on 9-11, they, they found a passport that they said belonged to one of the hijackers lying in the streets of New York? You know, that, that's... Uh, yeah, yeah, it was in his getaway car, they said, the uh, the guy in France. Uh, the, in one of the getaway cars, they found his, his ID. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Well, that, like, it's a yeah, so standard operating procedure. You know, it's just like in the Kennedy assassination. They said they found Oswald's wallet at the scene of the Tivis shooting. But then they also said that he had a wallet on him when he was taken to the police station. <laughs> and then the Warren Commission determined that he had left his wallet behind at the uh, Payne residence that morning before he left to work. So, wait a minute, wait a minute, Three wallets? You know how many people have three wallets? He's got a magic wallet, like the magic bullet. Magic wallet. And we are just so susceptible to, uh, and and the thing is, see, it used to be at one time uh, we looked to journalism and to the news media to try to keep us balanced as to what's real, what's not, what's valid, what's not, and, uh, you know, to counter some of the government uh, pronouncements and propaganda, but today we can't even count on that because now there's a, literally a handful, like five major multinational corporations, all with interlocking ownership and directorships, who determine everything we see in here. 
So it's kind of tough for the average guy to try to figure out what's real and what's not. Hmm. That raises an interesting uh, point that I wanted to talk to you about. Kind of segues perfectly from there, and that's uh, this. We've talked in the past, and you kind of mentioned earlier about the health concerns about young people being on the Internet. And we've talked in the past, I think, about just people in general being sort of hooked on the Internet. It seems like now they're also gearing us. They're sort of amping. I'm talking about they being just sort of the meme, the, the mainstream media, whatever you want to call it, you know, the, 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 uh, the people that stir the drink. They, uh, they seem like they're amping up sort of these Internet fears. You know, we need more Internet security after that Sony hack and a lot of the uh, other stories. It seems like that's a, a recurring thing. And then we've got the other part about the whole, like, are they going to regulate the Internet? So it feels like you're talking about the media controlling voices. The alternative voices are already kind of starting to feel the heat a little bit maybe. It's getting a bit, a bit disconcerting uh, looking at it from the big picture. That's true. And I think the two connect. Okay. Hmm, yes. Exactly. The the ruling globalists are fearful of a free and open internet where people from all around the world and all walks of life can freely communicate and interact with each other. So therefore, they have to clamp down, just like certain totalitarian societies like China and Indonesia and a few others, uh, Egypt tries to do. You know, they outlaw certain internet activities and uh, they're trying to do that here but of course they can't can just come out and say we want to control the internet because then everybody will bow their backs and say no 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 you're not going to do that so they have to turn around and start creating events creating circumstances and then uh, hitting everybody saying well the internet's a cesspool you know there's too much pornography and there's too much racial hatred and uh, blah 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 and for for the good of everybody we're going to have to kind of shut it down and what kills me is is that when they propose legislation to severely curtail the internet you know they don't call it to curtail the internet bill it's you know it's uh, instead they say this is uh, um, you know internet integrity and uh, we're, we're trying to protect the internet yeah it's it's worrisome because, you know, the, the other part of it is, too, that I was talking about this with somebody the other day. It's like they've got people hooked on the Internet, too. If you, if you told people yeah. that they couldn't get, you know, if they couldn't get their Netflix unless they had to supply a thumbprint to get on the Internet, they would line up tomorrow to do it. They wouldn't care. So it's, it's getting scary uh, the way. Well, and they call it net neutrality. Yes. You know, but net neutrality is just a buzzword for control of the internet yeah i don't even know if you know i hear it and i'm like i'm still not i don't know if i'm for or against it because it's so confusing net neutrality well i'm pretty uh, sure i'm against uh, it. they do that intentionally just yeah. like we have found out now to our detriment about obamacare which mm. on the one hand just kind of generally sounded like well you know good solid health care for everyone that, that sounds like a good thing you know and then you get to the particulars of it and then you find out that uh, some of the people who actually authored that legislation admit that it was done in a convoluted uh, manner so that uh, the average person couldn't understand what was really happening to them. See, that's unconscionable. Uh, if Congress passes a law, it ought to be one that's made clear to everyone and everybody gets their input. That's uh, the way it's supposed to work in a representative democracy. But uh, as we all know, that's not the way it works. Well, people are on their own nowadays. That's the uh, that's the scary part. Now, maybe you can. Yeah. You, you would... Unfortunately, that's true. In fact, uh, I've probably mentioned this before, but you know, the upside of the internet is that anybody and everybody has access to the internet. 
Now, the downside is that anybody and everybody has access <laughs> to the Internet. Yeah. Okay? So you have to be very, very selective and very judicious uh, in using the Internet. I, I can't, all you have to do is, for instance, go Google Internet myths. Okay, and you're going to find a whole list of things that a lot of people believe are absolutely true, and then you find out, no, they're really not true at all. Hmm. Uh, and of course, that, and this is because of things that range from out and out hoaxes and fabricated things, photoshopped photographs, uh, uh, you know, digitally altered uh, films and videos, uh, all the way to just honest people who make mistakes and put erroneous information out. Yeah. You cannot take just something that comes in over the Internet as a statement of fact and just run with it until you check it out and find out if it is indeed fact. Oh, yeah, but that's the problem is that we've also taught like a whole generation of people that are just completely, they they don't know how to do that differentiation. That's true. Now we're back to the school system and we could spend, uh, you know, first you have to understand that all the education system in this country is now under uh, control of the federal government. Uh, with programs like No Child Left Behind and uh, the, the new curriculums that they're putting out, yeah. and they insist that everybody follows them. And this is all done to the tune of teaching kids to pass tests. Uh, you know, we have kind of given up on trying to teach kids how to critically think and how to reason through things. Uh, when I was a kid, even in grade school, we actually were encouraged to study on our own and to look at the other sides of things. I, re- I remember even in college at uh, journalism classes, you know, we were told, uh, look behind the official pronouncements and look behind the official corporate statements and find out what's really going on and, and tell the truth to the people. Uh, you know, fool that I was, I thought that's what I was supposed to be doing. <laughs> and I, and I, was, I was rudely surprised when I got out in the real world of journalism and found out that not only will corporate and government leaders lie to you uh, and give you bad uh, and uh, jaundiced information, but your own editors will fight with you. How do you know that? Have you got three sources? You know, can you prove this? I'm still running into this, okay? Oh, yeah. But that, but that was kind of to be expected. The real slap in the face was when I met so many people in the public who said, oh, man, I really don't want to know about that. Don't tell me about that, you know? (laughs) And that's pretty (laughs) discouraging for someone who's trying to find and report the truth. Yeah. Well, I'm going to take you down a different path just in a weird way because you talked about the schools and stuff. I was thinking about uh, talking about this the other night. I went out for drinks with some friends from high school, and it's like, you know, I graduated from high school almost 20 years ago, and we were saying, just talking about the old teachers and stuff, and I was saying, you know, you can't even, if you wanted to, like on Monday, well, not Monday, because that was uh, the holiday, but if you wanted to go down to the school like today and just look around, see if any of your old teachers were there, that kind of thing, you can't even do that. You know, you gotta, like, you gotta, like, fill out paperwork and things like that. You can't even stop by your old high school. It's, it's kind of. They are conditioning the upcoming generations to live in a prison-like atmosphere. That's exactly what I was going for, yeah. Got to go through metal detectors, got to be padded down, got to be uh, inspected, you know. Uh, it's no privacy, no, you know, it's, it's just terrible. Mm. It's terrible. And what's most terrible is not the fact that authorities try to push that through either out of genuine concern for uh, security or out of a phony uh 
a plan to just play to the crowd and go with the local trends. Uh, but uh, the fact that this is being pushed at the highest levels by people who want and, and actually uh, make no secret of the fact that they want to control society. Yeah. And, of course, we were warned about this as far back as 1948 when a British socialist named Eric Arthur Blair wrote a book and said that the game plan was to divide the world into three socialist blocks and then play one constantly off against another for maximum profit and control. And, of course, in his book, it was 1984, because he transposed the, the numbers of the year, and he used the pen name of George Orwell. So Orwell's 1984, which has become a classic example of totalitarianism in action, uh, is becoming more and more of our reality. Mm. And then you compound that, you, you're hitting right on some of the stuff I was thinking about going into this, because it's like, it seems like, you know, we have to, you know, they're conditioning people to worry about ISIS and, and that kind of thing. Oh, it could come here, it could happen here, you know, all the stuff that happened in France. But then also, we're getting hit with another layer of, of concern, because in the past year, it seemed like things went really geopolitical, and it's like Russia's coming into the Ukraine, and the uh, the oil prices are all going crazy and stuff, so we're, 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 there's, there's upheaval on both sides of uh, the thing. Well, the yeah, but again, wait a minute. We, you know, we have to stop and consider, and you have to put things in context in history. Mm -hmm. For instance, you said Russia is coming into the Ukraine. Russia's always had control over the Ukraine. All right? In World War II, the Ukraine was part of Russia, and the Germans invaded, and in fact were warmly greeted by many of the inhabitants of the Ukraine because they were getting uh, pretty uh, tired of uh, the Soviet rule, okay? So what what's happening is is that uh, is that uh, Western influences have gone into the Ukraine and said you guys and stirred up nationalist feelings and they said you know we're going to uh, break away and Russia says no you're not and that's uh, leading to the conflict. We have to ask ourselves who started all this. Uh, if for my money this would be like Texas deciding to go back and be a republic again. Which which I guarantee there's plenty of people down here who would uh, gladly support that. Uh, and, then, of course, what's the United States going to do? What would Washington do? They'd say, well, you can't do that. I mean, we've already seen that back in the mid-1800s when uh, 11 states said uh, we're tired of this centralized government that doesn't take our wishes into uh, into account, so we're just going to separate. We're going to go our own way. And uh, Washington said, no, you're not, and they fought an entire four-year war. Hmm. It's worrisome to me, I guess, is the, is, the, uh, is the larger point. So they're sort of positioning America against, uh, you know, they're sort of uh, reigniting this, this global uh, warfare potential here. Exactly. Well, they're playing a dangerous game because, on the one hand, they do want to stir up the passions, and they want to keep the war machine going. You, you understand that that is the political party of the United States. Uh, there's no real independent Democratic Party or Republican Party. They're just the Democratic and Republican are, more correctly, the liberal and conservative wings of the war party. Mm. All right? Because although the controlled uh, corporate mass media will allow us to uh, debate and have arguments over same-sex marriage or, or, or abortion or stem cell research, uh, you'll notice that we are never allowed to truly debate foreign policy. 
uh, or military operations. Both parties, uh, both wings of the war party, uh, you know, are in agreement on all that. Hmm. So the war machine keeps going. And uh, so they're tr- these uh, would-be globalist rulers, uh, they want to keep the war machine greased and rolling at full speed. So they've got to continually have warfare because, after all, warfare uh, involves defense, and defense is the defining role of any government. Uh, in fact, if you go back to the original uh, Constitution of the United States, the Congress and the central government were only given two powers. One, uh, to coin and regulate money. And by the way, it was supposed to be based on, on solid wealth such as gold and silver. And the second thing was to provide for the common defense. And it's been that defense clause that has uh, been used from right on up till today uh, to excuse uh, the whole uh, reach for control by uh, a centralized government. Yeah. Well, what do you make of the oil price uh, fluctuation? Everyone's all thrilled. Well, again, here. this is this is a pushback against the uh, the people who are not. Uh, falling into line for the New World Order. And, of course, I'm talking about the BRICS nation, B-R-I-C-S. That's Brazil, India, Russia, China, and South Africa. And, uh, interestingly enough, this is causing, they are now pushing back against the Anglo-American financial system, which has been centered in the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. Well, the BRICS nations have already announced that they're creating their own World Bank. So now we're not going to be able to use financial loans and guarantees to uh, whip about the leadership of other nations. We're going to be in uh, in a contest with the BRICS nation, and they're going to have currencies backed by gold and silver, which is going to probably prove to be the ruination of the U.S. dollar, which today is now only worth about less than 40 cents and and is only propped up not by any real assets but simply by uh, the threat of nuclear weapons. Well, talk more about this BRICS thing because that's scary. Uh, This is the first I've heard about this. Brazil, Russia, China, India, and South Africa, there's a lot more of them than us. That's scary. Yeah, exactly. But And they are, uh, and they, of course, uh, uh, are, uh, and then, of course, there's the uh, axis of evil, you know, Iran, and, uh, you know, these other nations that are simply not buckling under to uh, the American-English uh, financial uh, rulers uh, and have actually historically. Uh, the uh, If you look at Russia, uh, the reason that uh, everyone turned against communism was because they refused to create a central bank. Uh, that was tied to the international bankers. Hmm. And, uh, that, and that, of course, uh, we kept having these, uh, programs against Russia to the point where finally communism collapsed under its own weight, uh, and because of the inadequacies of, of, uh, grand scale socialism. And, uh, and then the first thing that happened after the collapse of communism was, is that the international bankers went in and said, okay, if you create a central bank, we'll loan you money to keep your country going. And that's exactly what happened. And now uh, Putin and others over there are trying to uh, extricate themselves from that kind of uh, control, and all of a sudden they're becoming our enemy again. Hmm. Well, it does seem like, if you think about this, uh, 
the sort of Illuminati uh, conspiracy, if you will. It does seem like it's, it's it does seem predominantly sort of based out of kind of like a European American slant. You never really hear well, it, about it. Always has been. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, if you uh, the Rothschild banking dynasty, of course, you mm. know, was headquartered in Europe. And uh, if you go steady, you'll find that uh, the American version of the super rich uh, involved the Rockefeller family. And then you study and you find out that the originator, John D. Rockefeller, uh, got his start uh, and, and became dominant in the petroleum industry in the world. By the late 1800s, he had just about had control of all of the petroleum in the world. And, uh, and if you study, you'll find that he got his start with money lent to him by the Bank of Cleveland, which was a registered Rothschild bank. So in other words, the Rockefellers are simply the North American front people for the Rothschilds. Right, which makes me concerned. Like I said, you, if you, if, if, if India and Brazil and China decided to get together, just based on the sheer amount of people they have, it's like you kind of have to go along with whatever they want. <laughs> well, well China, China's already got the upper hand anyway because uh, just go to any Walmart, pick up just about any product, and you can find it's made in China. Hmm. So, you know, right now, under the new world order, China is producing the products, and we Americans are buying them. <laughs> Well, you got to give the uh, you got to give the the power brokers credit though. They've eased Americans into this completely blindly. I mean, you know, exactly. you still have these major motion pictures opening and uh, you know big movies open and they make hundreds of millions of dollars. It's like people just spending money and be entertained and go to sports. Exactly, uh, and so. and that's and, you know if you know your history, you'll know that that's nothing new. Okay, uh, that is that goes all the way back to the Roman Empire. Exactly. Yeah, you know where they kept the public pacified with uh, free bread and circuses. Mm-hmm. In the the Coliseum, and it's really no different today. You know, the the uh, methods of control remain the same. All that's changed is the technologies. In the Roman Empire, you had to physically go down to the Coliseum uh, to watch men fight, and now all you got to do is turn on your TV or pull out your phone. Or pull, yeah, now you can walk around down the street and look at it. <laughs> It's uh, it's mesmerizing. Speaking of mesmerizing, uh, what what are your thoughts on the MH370, uh, the missing plane? That's been one of the most fantastically bizarre stories I've seen in a long, long time, and I figured I know that, and and I don't know. There's you know, there's really there's obviously something going on, and I don't think we're getting to the bottom of it. Uh, The other day, I saw a uh, my friend Linda Moulton Howe posted on her uh, Earth Files website. Um, a video a guy took that looks like a meteor coming down. I mean, there's a flaming thing coming down through the sky and it's trailing a, a trail behind it and then all of a sudden this little light pops out of it and goes flying off upwards and out of the picture frame. And it's almost like, you know, there was an escape pod on something that was crashing into the atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, it's strange and they, they checked to make sure it wasn't a, a phony film and they really can't explain what that was and of course we had the thing that struck in Russia. Uh, we've got all kinds of strange things going on. People all around the world hearing these strange horn-like sounds, and they can't find out what's causing it. And uh, holes, sinkholes appearing all around the world. All kinds of strange things going on. And when it's when it can't be hidden from the public, then you get a little bitty blurb in the local media, and it goes away. And as far as I know, there's not anybody publicly 
looking into these things and trying to figure out what's going on. And I strongly suspect that the that the three missing uh, Asian airliners uh, have something to do with all of that. Right, right, right. I, I, yeah. We wonder if there's a larger story at work here with that plane. That's exactly. what makes me concerned because it seems uh, yeah. they really made a but big deal. It, but even if there is, we're not going to be told about it. Exactly. That's what I was. That's kind of was what I was. The next thing I was going to ask if you think we'll ever even find out. You know, it's kind of like we were saying earlier about about aliens and stuff like that. Well, we'll ever even know if, if they come out and say, "Yeah, we found the plane that's gone in the ocean." How are we even going to know if they're telling the truth at all at this point? So. Yeah. We gotta spread this stuff around. Let's put it on the internet. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. Great heavens! What kind of radio show is this? What about this thing they found up in the North Sea, under the North Sea, that that looks like the uh, the uh, spaceship out of Star Wars, the Millennium Falcon? <laughs> it's kind of an odd-shaped disc-shaped thing. Oh, weird! I didn't you know, hear about that. You, 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 well, you hear about that, and it goes away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's uh, that's again one of the failings of the corporate media is is that sometimes they'll actually tell you a little bit of something as a breaking news story, and you go wow, and you keep trying to follow it, and it, it never follows. They never say anything more about it. Well, that's the that's the that's the weird part too. Uh, I don't know what it says a lot of things. I guess you could say about the media, but it's like you would think, given how fantastic the UFO issue is that they would want to milk this thing for as much as possible because if it's if it's genuinely legitimate as you and i seem to think it is you you think that they would want to get into it and get behind it because there's so much meat to that you know but they don't and that's that should tell you everything you need to know about it really well that that's another example of where they can't just keep it totally hidden and uh some people some of the uh brass of some of the networks and publishers and everybody else, they see the interest in the public and they can't help themselves but try to profit from putting on TV shows and, and movies and, and books about UFOs. But at the same time, the people who are actually in control at the very top, they don't want people knowing what's really going on or the fact that we may be just one species among a number that are on this world and in, in other worlds. So they they let it out and they sensationalize it. How many times have you seen a TV show that says, watch tonight, UFO secrets revealed, blah, blah, blah. And then they'll start off giving you a little bit of truthful information and then they end up with their uh, highly paid experts going, oh, yeah, but that all has a natural explanation. And, and uh, you know, it's just swamp gas and it's just ball lining and, you know, <laughs> they give you all these excuses. So the average person comes away. Uh, it's simply now all of a sudden it, there's no knowledge is simply believe. You either believe that something's going on or you don't. Yeah, yeah. Well, they've conditioned people to uh, to not take this UFO stuff seriously. It's too bad. Exactly, uh, exactly. For uh, for most of my lifetime, if you mentioned UFOs, you had to snicker in the same breath. Right. It's worrisome in a way. I've, I've talked about with many ufologists on the show. It's uh, the ufology. It's it's in a you know the, the whole idea of studying UFOs and trying to get to the bottom of this is a, is in a is in a pickle right now because you don't have a second chance to make a first impression and people have already made their minds up uh, or at least been told what they should think about UFOs and it's going to be really hard right. to sort of sway that public opinion. We talked about tipping points earlier, you know. But but you know what? It's interesting because again we're back to the. Uh 
fact that people are wising up, people are, their knowledge is increasing, their understanding is increasing. Um, back in the 80s, 90s, I'd be on a radio talk show, and if we got into the subject of UFOs, invariably there'd be somebody who'd call in and say, well, this guy's nuts, you know, or why do you even let him on the radio, you know? Uh, today, I, I've been on many, many shows over the last three, four years, and nobody, nobody calls in and, and says that. Now, that doesn't mean there's probably not still some people out there who believe that, uh, believe the whole thing's a hoax and a phony and a, a laughing stock, and we shouldn't be paying attention to it, but <laughs> they're not vocal like they used to be. Hmm. So apparently, I think there's a lot of people who are beginning to understand that when you start talking about UFOs and aliens, you're actually talking about a, a credible subject that should be uh, discussed in a thinking society. Yeah, well, you're making me think about all the people I'm not going to like if this UFO thing uh, ever gets uh, revealed, because it's going to be people that were like, yeah, I always kind of believed it. I just, you know, you're going to give me a lot of those people. You're going to want to throttle them. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You're like, well, why didn't you say anything, pal? Jeez, we could have used you. You know, know, that's interesting, but after the publication back in the 90s of my book on UFOs, uh, Alien Agenda, which, uh, by the way, now, as I understand it, is the top-selling non-fiction book on UFOs in the world. Nice. Uh, It's been translated into about a dozen languages. But I had people who had known all my life come up to me and say, oh, wow, let me tell you what I saw or let me tell you what happened to me. And they tell me these incredible stories, and I go, well, you know, why didn't you tell me this before? And they say, well, we didn't think you'd believe us, you know. And it was only after they read my book and realized that I was willing to look dispassionately and objectively at the subject that they decided to open up and tell me about their own experiences. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly like the people who, after the Snowden thing came out, they were all like, oh, of course the government's spying on us, you know. It's like, oh, (laughs) Right, right. And yet before Snowden, anybody, me and many others, Others who said, hey, the government's spying on you. Well, we were just crazy conspiracy theorists. Well, that, now we know it's true. That raises an interesting point, you know, because I said that uh, when we did sort of a wrap-up uh, of the year last year when all the Snowden thing, uh, in retrospect, had come out. And, you know, it's like it was a big win for sort of the conspiracy community. Do you feel that in any way, uh, you know, from where you're at? Well, yes, and, but then not much because, uh, you know, so far there's very little, except in some of the details, that has come out from the Snowden revelations that I wasn't pretty much aware of. Hmm. Uh, I think uh, the difference is is that uh, where I once suspected something, now I know. And also the fact that here's somebody who obviously had uh, was on the inside, had access to the internal information, and who is confirming what a lot of the conspiracy theorists uh, had been saying all along. But it doesn't take a, a super brain to realize that if the government can do something, they will do it, okay? Right. <laughs> I can't think of any uh, top government official or any uh, uh, bureaucrat who is told, hey, we can do this, and says, no, no, let's not do that. That's not ethical. <laughs> you know, no, they're all going to go for it. If it can be done, they'll do it. Now, there's some people who have the theory that the whole Snowden thing was orchestrated just from the get-go, that the whole thing was sort of like a revelation of method, if you will. Uh, what are your thoughts on the whole idea that maybe... Uh, you know, that is that is a thought. Uh, I do know that 
Uh, although I tend to think the Snowden revelations are legit just simply because of the way it all came about and the way that he protected himself and the way that he got help from Glenn Greenwald and other reporters and the fact that he went and sought, uh, you know, got himself out of the country before he could get grabbed. Hmm. And uh, that, just the whole uh, context of that story, I tend to think that it's legit, although it is certainly not beyond the realm of possibility that the whole thing was, uh, if not orchestrated, at least allowed to happen uh, so that the government uh, could basically say to us, yeah, we're doing this. What are you going to do about it? Right, right. Yeah, it's... I mean, I mean, I, I ask you, uh, Tim, <laughs> what laws have changed? What procedures have changed? Yeah. <laughs> are they not listening anymore? Come on. <laughs> No, exactly. Yeah, nothing. Nothing changed out of it. Nothing came out of it where people were uh, no, felt any safe. Other than just people now, you know, can't really argue that it's not happening. Right, right. Well, we have that on our side, I guess. Uh, now, maybe you can speak to this because I grew up in the '80s and uh, through all the '90s, obviously up to today. And I, I didn't live through sort of the um, the anti-war movement, the civil rights movement, and stuff like that. And so I've kind of been struck in the last couple of years just about. How it seems like people are, are, there seems to be a meme of like large gatherings. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like in Paris after the thing, all those people, like millions of people came together and the protests, Ferguson, the, uh, yeah, the Walker yeah, Center, all uh, the 99 Paris, there were, there were millions who gathered in Paris, but the photographs we got with Angela Merkel and the French president and every, every uh, world leader except Obama, who I guess was on the golf course, you know, <laughs> linking linking arms there. That was a photo op. If you really look at All it, right, look yeah. at, remember that mm. that was they only had about twelve, fourteen deep in a arc, and uh, it made it look like a huge thing. And there was a huge thing, but they weren't part of it. They were off over on the side street, just doing a photo op, which yeah. leads me to believe that again the whole thing, if not orchestrated, was at least being used by the New World Order to, again, just stir people up and uh, create a new international menace that uh, that keeps the current status quo in position of power, okay? Uh, yeah, I guess the, the point of the question, though, is sort of more like, because I, like I was saying, I, this seems like a new development for me, that people are getting together like that. Uh, no, no, no. You know, like you're talking about the, you know the Occupy Wall Street stuff. So, but, but was it like that back in the day too? In the you know, oh, even more so. Uh, it was more polarized back in the '60s, and I lived through all that as a newspaper reporter, and I was at some of the demonstrations, uh, but as an objective reporter, not really part of it. Although I remember at the time thinking, man, I think I'll drop out and become a hippie, but but I never <laughs> did. But I never did. Uh, the thing is, you have to understand that no, that that was, those were spontaneous uh, demonstrations back in the 60s against the war, uh, primarily not so much because we were fighting in Vietnam, but because they were utilizing the draft. Yeah. Okay, they were drafting kids off the street, and a lot of things changed. A lot of people began to go, "Wait a minute, you know, why should I be drafted and forced to go fight a war that I'm not totally in support of?" And then also, it's like, "Why can I? How come I can be drafted at 18 and uh, be sent overseas to get shot at it, but I can't buy beer?" Right. Well, and a lot of people, and you may have forgotten this, but there was a short period of time there towards the end of the Vietnam War and a little bit afterwards, where they lowered the drink age to 18. But then as soon as the war was over, they dropped it back up to 21. 
Yeah. And so, yeah, and uh, and the peace symbol used to be a a, a real uh, red flag uh, out in the rural and conservative areas of the country. If you had a peace sign on you, you were liable to to get, get uh, uh, bad words thrown at you, if not a fist. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, and yet today, you know, you go in any shop and you got T-shirts with peace symbols on it. You got little kids running around with <laughs> peace symbols on them. You know, and that and that's because the the uh, globalists, the rulers, realized that the harder they fought against it, the uh, the more people re- were recruited to the anti-war movement, and the more uh, determined they were to uh, to advance their beliefs. And so they co-opted the whole thing. You know, pretty soon, uh, you know, after a while, everybody was wearing a peace sign, and it became it became pretty irrelevant. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. Okay, so you're telling me that it was uh, that it was sort of as as fevered as it is nowadays. So it makes you wonder just if anything's going to come out of it that were you know that people. It seems like well, people getting well, together the, more now. It's I don't the, know. The, differ- know. the difference too was that in the '60s, the especially young people who were at the core of most of the big anti-war demonstrations were uh, young people and or students. And they didn't really have a lot. They didn't have a lot invested in uh, the status quo or in the establishment. And so they were free free to be idealistic enough to say, hey, let's change things, okay? Uh, Today, you know, because of the economy, uh, everyone has to work their tail off just to keep their head above financial waters. And most young people uh, owe student loans or they're buying a house or they're renting an expensive apartment or they certainly want to have clothes and, and uh, uh, shoes and uh, good cars and good electronics, uh, which they normally could not afford, so they're buying it on credit, so they're in debt up to their ears, and so they're just not really in a position to go out and, and try to raise hell about things. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, yeah, they've got them, uh, they've got them under, under thumb as well. So. Yeah. And even though the draft is still in effect, you still have to register when you hit 18, I guess it is. But yet they're not drafting people, okay? So therefore, (laughs) therefore, the the uh, people who are against the wars and. Uh, in uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, they are just not uh, as committed and as driven as were the people in the 60s who were facing the draft that was going to actually grab them off the street and send them there. Right, right. They were like literally fighting for their lives, I guess you could say, in a lot of ways. It's, uh, yeah, it's worrisome. You wonder what, uh, where this is all going. Uh, well, I think probably. we're, you know, we talked about the tipping point. And I think we're getting close to the tipping point. But as we approach the tipping point, uh, they're going to the try and tip us over. Bunch, yeah, is going to they're going to stiffen up and crack down. And uh, we can already see that the militarization of the police forces, the fact that where you used to, all you had to do was worry about your own little local police force, and now they're all under the control of Homeland Security, uh, the modern equivalent of the Nazi Gestapo which was in charge of every law enforcement agency in Germany. Uh, so now we, uh, I think we're in a foot race to a crossroads. Uh, either this tipping point is going to be reached and enough people are going to say, hey, you know, we don't want to live in a Fourth Reich, a police state, a totalitarian system, and they'll start dismantling it by voting everybody in Congress out, by voting for a president who is not a member of that club, 
by acting locally to regain control over their lives and destiny, or they're going to be put down. The government's going to clamp down more and more uh, in the cities. You're going to find yourself running into uh, armored-clad, black-clad, uh, you know, soldier police who are going to demand papers and who are going to have, uh, you know, checkpoints all over the place, cameras everywhere. That's already happening. Yeah, that's already, uh, that's already you know, happening. Yeah. And uh, you're going to go into a 1984 totalitarian society. Yeah, I think people will, uh, I, I think we're being led into it and people are just accepting it now. It's scary, uh, in a lot of ways. It's like, instead of, instead of, you know, with all this, like, talk about the police and everything, people are, they sort of grudgingly accept it. There's nothing you can do about it. That's just, yeah, the resignation. That's true. Be the, the unfortunately, mood. that's true. And it's yeah. because it's the old frog in the water mm. uh, analogy. Yeah. Uh, you know, back in the 60s when I was a police reporter, well, let me just tell you what I experienced on my own. Uh, back in the 60s, uh, if uh, I was with the uh, police on a case and a guy showed up in my suit and said, I'm with the FBI, he he would have his hat in his hand. And he's saying, I'm with the FBI, uh, and I was wondering if I could help you on this case. And, of course, back then, because of TV and the the uh, laud, laudatory oration about Jagger Hoover and the fact that, uh, you know, uh, the FBI with Ephraim Zimbalist was a big show on TV. Everybody thought the FBI was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And these cops would always be very impressed that the FBI would want to help them. And so they'd almost unanimously and, and constantly say, yes, yes, please help us, you know. And then just over, you know, a decade, just a few years, all of a sudden the cops would be on a case, a guy in a suit would show up and you'd say, I'm FBI and I'm taking over this case. Yeah. You know, it uh, it really shifted. And uh, and the same thing has happened to the general public. Back in the 60s, if, uh, if, a, if some cops had shown up in body armor and machine guns and said, you know, you do what we say, uh, <laughs> there would have been a great resistance. And people would have said, hey, wait a minute, you work for us. You know, yeah. you can't treat us this way. But over the intervening years, we had the war on drugs. And, oh, my God, drugs. And, and oh, crimes running rampant. And, uh, oh, now, and now you have to watch out for terrorists, okay? And so slowly and surely, it just got to the point to where now today people just accept this this uh, militarized police force. Let me hit on and that. what's scary to me, Tim, yep. is that in the coming future, you know, the young people of the day, this is what they've grown up with, and they're not even going to know the difference oh, I know, between Jade. a police state <laughs> and a free society. Yeah, that's the scary part. I feel like uh, I'm only I'm going to be 36 in like a week. I'm, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm being put out to pasture. I feel like the uh, the young people, are <laughs> they don't know what they're getting themselves in for. I know, I know. See, and the thing is, to me, you're a kid. <laughs> and and yet, if you run into one of the say a new policeman, you know, and he's liable to be what twenty one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you can think you can think where where this kid come from? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's scary. Let me touch on a big sort of issue. Uh, we've we, we've been talking about this for the last nine years, but I feel like it's worth revisiting every time around. Nine eleven. 
you know, what's, what's the status on all this? I feel like we kind of, I feel like it's, it's, it's getting long in the tooth now. It's been 14 years. I feel like, I don't know if we're ever really going to, it's going to always remain no, the no, new no. JFK. No, it, no, It's happening. It's happening. It's just, it's, again, it's a slow evolution, and it's not on the news. And, you know, you, you don't hear CNN or, or ABC uh, in a major newscast saying, more people today realize 9-11 was an inside job. Yeah. It doesn't happen. But it is happening, okay? Uh, more and more information is coming out about 9-11. And the main thing is, is that it is trickling down through our society. And people, uh, there's always been a hardcore of researchers and conspiracy people who have, from the get-go, said something's not right with this. Uh, you know, things like, uh, well, in fact, the uh, John Farmer uh, was the uh, chief counsel of the official Bush-appointed 9-11 commission. And he's written in a book and said the story that was given to them, the 9-11 Commission, and to the Congress and to the media and to the public, is entirely untrue. Yeah. So, you know, now that's beginning to trickle down. And uh, the hardcore uh, skeptics uh, are now being, uh, you know, seeing their work verified. And then the, the people on the fence, they're now falling over into the uh, knowledge group that knows that this was uh, not what it was put up to be. And uh, and then all the way down in until now, today, I think it's only a hardcore minority of people who truly and devoutly believe uh, in the 19 hijacker scenario presented to us by the government. Right, but the scary part is, it's like... But talk- it doesn't get mentioned. It doesn't get mm. mentioned in the mass media, so nobody understands that this shift has taken place. That's what I'm, that's kind of what I'm concerned about here, because, you know, we talk about, you're obviously a titan in the JFK assassination research, and I think you'll agree with me that we reached some kind of tipping point a long time ago where the majority of people thought that there was a, 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 a serious conspiracy to kill JFK, and whoever did right. it got away with it, and they still, right. even though we reached that tipping point... They still got away with it. That's the scary yeah. part with this 9-11 thing. Well, if you draw draw things out, string things out long enough, uh, you know, the public uh, public public memory seems to be about 15 minutes. You yeah, know? and uh, that and that's true. And that's how they do these things. Well, let me tell you something. I see the same thing going on uh, with the 9-11 as I saw and experienced with the Kennedy assassination for about 15 years. After the Kennedy assassination, uh, number one, we didn't have access to the information we have now. The famous Zapruder film was not shown until the mid-70s to anybody, including the Warren Commission, as a film. Uh, and it was just considered impolite to talk about it in decent company. Okay, well, today we're in the tail end of a same period, which is uh, we just don't want to talk about 9-11. Okay, that that's politics, and that's uh, uh, we don't want to upset everybody here at the party or at the dinner table by talking about it. We're just not going to do that. But uh, as you said, and is true, that now the public perception is shifting slowly, and more and more people are becoming aware that 9/11 was an inside job. Uh, if it if it was not actually orchestrated. Uh, within uh, the federal government, at least, was covered up by the federal government and used as a pretext to shred the Constitution through the rushed-through Patriot Act 
and the Military Commissions Act and various presidential executive orders. Uh, you know, yeah. oh God, it changed the whole world. It changed our whole world, which has totally okay. changed our society. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's the that's my concern. You know, it's like if we even if we reach this tipping point, is anyone going to get punished for real for this thing? I'm, I don't know if it will ever happen. That's my. <laughs> well, my, my it's, uh, it's a funny thing. You know, there have been international war crimes trials held in other countries. And George W. Bush and Dick Cheney and Rumsfeld have all been found guilty of war crimes. But, number one, that news does not really reach the average American. And number two, as long as those guys don't go to certain other countries, uh, who's going to enforce it? Who's right. going to do something about it? Yeah, exactly. Even that's why, did, that's yeah. why it's up to us. Uh, if you, anyone listening to me, if you consider yourself a truly free American citizen, you need to take it upon yourself to, number one, learn the facts of all this stuff. And once you uh, are satisfied you know the truth about some of these things, then you need to do whatever is within your power to see if you can't uh, bring some justice to the world. What can we do? That's the concern, you know, other than educate other people and hope to reach as many and reach that tipping point. But otherwise, you know. Right, right. But, and that's, that sounds kind of uh, innocuous, but... Uh, but if you think about it, if enough people come to an understanding uh, that we've been lied to and that the official story is not true, then just by that sheer knowingness, things will begin to change. We can hope. We can hope. Yeah. Uh, one area where things are changing, I thought I'd get your opinion on, actually, is uh, this. It seems like in the last, you know, five five years, I'd say maybe, uh, it seems like the imagination of people is, is reawakening to the wonders of space. What do you think of all that? It, uh, it seems like that's been happening uh, for the last few years, and now we're seeing, you know, private spaces growing. Uh, exploration seems to be people are excited about, you know, going to Mars and exploring Mars and stuff. And it seems like it's really peaked up in the last five years. Uh, what's your take on that? Well, it has, but then on the other hand, there's also some foot dragging going on. Uh, number one, I guess you're well aware that some of the private space efforts have recently ended in disaster. Yes, yes, it's, it's uh, run okay. into a bumpy course the last uh, few oh, months. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then the thing that has always struck me is that, you know, NASA went to the moon supposedly six times and then said, no, we don't really have the money to go back. Hmm. Even though they had 22 Atlas rockets ready to go, uh, which to me is kind of like saying, well, I built this uh, Rolls Royce, but I don't have enough money to buy gasoline for it, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, but when the private sector says, well, here, we'll continue the work and we're going to build suborbital uh, craft and we're going to put up space stations and we're going to go to other planets, you would think that NASA would have been uh, fully supportive of such an effort since they themselves said they didn't have the finances to do it. But instead, the reality is, is that NASA has dragged its feet and thrown all kinds of obstacles. So it's almost as though somewhere somebody does not want us mm. to be going into space. And yet, you know, going back to my youth and reading science fiction stories, uh, to me, the whole uh, prospect of a of a enlightened and prosperous and equitable future for everybody on this planet is for us to spread out. You know, think right. about it. You know, now we have a clash between the Christians and the Jews and the and the Muslims. What if we go and and uh, 
colonize other planets. All the Muslims could go live on one planet. All, <laughs> yeah. the, all the Jews could go live on another planet. All the Christians live on another planet, and everybody's happy. You know? <laughs> yeah, until we have, like, a, a real Star Wars. Yeah. yeah, until we have the War of the Worlds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's interesting. It'll be, uh, you know, I've always thought that the, the whole private space thing may usher in the UFO enigma may have it outside. Well, I think that plays a big role in it. They don't want us going into space because they're afraid of what we might find out out there. Right, right. Who's they, though? uh, The government or the UFOs or both? Well, uh, primarily the government, except it's not really the government. Right, obviously. There's two governments, okay? (laughs) The government that we're all familiar with, which has congressmen and Supreme Court and the presidency and, you know, and and they, you know, we we, uh, rarely have contact with any of those people, but we do have contact with the mailman and the IRS agent, you know, blah, blah. Okay, that's the government, but that government's just government, all right? No, then we have the government of the people who really rule, who tell these bureaucrats and who tell presidents and who tell Congress people and gives them their marching orders, all right? And these are, in fact, usually not people who are officially part of the government. They're unofficial part of the government. Hmm. For example, uh, you know, we, we like to think that the Secretary of the Treasury, uh, through the president and through Congress, is in charge of our finances. But if you'll dig deeper, you'll find that there's a very little known agency called the uh, Financial Stabilization Fund, mm, yeah, I think which you was talk- created yeah. back during the 30s, and that is totally autonomous and can operate even outside U.S. laws, and that this this little agency decides what truly happens to our money. And it's all, of course, under the thrall of the international bankers. Mm. So, see, you know, what what you don't know can hurt you. <laughs> well, they got a good system set up, that's for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, they've been working at it for thousands of years. Now, you got the new book coming out uh, in, in what did you say, in a couple of months or so? Yeah, a few months. I'm not real sure what the publication date is. I would say April, May, maybe. Nice, nice. What's the uh, – give us give us something that will scare us a little bit. What's the, what's the one thing that's sort of in the book that you think people need to know well, about right the, away and, and freak, the freak people title out? Is, the title is Population Control, hmm. Yeah, which was not my original title. That seems they to happen to you a lot. I know. They wouldn't <laughs> go with my original title, which was Death Culture. Oh, I like that. Uh, because uh, – Again, when you consider the amount of what's in processed foods, uh, the bromide, the glyphosate, uh, uh, all these deadly chemicals, cancer-causing chemicals that's in our toiletries and our makeup and our food, and then you look at the water with, you know, laced with fluoride and benzene and all kinds of deadly things, uh, and and some of it being consciously added, not just, you know, natural pollution. Yeah. Uh, And then you look at the vaccines, you know, oh, yeah, everybody's got to have a vaccine against the fall flu, and then they come out (laughs) towards the middle of the fall and say, well, that one didn't really work. Uh, You have to go back and get another one, you know, and meanwhile, you know, you've got uh, uh, 200 million people paying, uh, you know, $5, $20, you know, to the pharmaceutical companies. And these things have uh, ingredients, adjutants in it, 
like squalene and, and other uh, harmful chemicals that are actually uh, compromising a lot of people's immunization systems. So people are, you know, that's why in America today, you know, the the majority of the population uh, is either borderline or actually obese. And, uh, you know, the, the leading cause of death is, you know, heart failure and <clears throat> and all this stuff. And all of this, in fact, you know what the third leading cause of death is in the United States? What's that? Medical Obesity? treatment. Oh, Medical geez. treatment. <laughs> Medical treatment. People who overdose on prescription medicine or people who have bad, uh, surgeries that go bad or, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. so uh, you know, it, it, unless you have to, stay away from the medical establishment. Uh, and, uh, you know, you have all these rare... Uh, diseases that are resistant to antibodies that are out now running through some of the hospital systems. Anyway, so it's, and all of this did not just, you know, naturally evolve. A lot right. of this is put on there by the ownership of these multinational corporations. Monsanto comes to mind, which is now, uh, you know, 80% of the food we're eating in the United States now has uh, uh, genetically modified organisms in it. And again, we don't even know what <laughs> that's doing to us. Right. Probably won't. Probably won't for another 50, 100 years. Yeah, well, what's the – you talk about population control. Uh, that's the title of the book. What, what do you think – is there an end game here for them? I know you say they want to kill us, but the population still keeps growing, and it's been a long time that they've been – uh, you know, trying. yeah, but it's growing slower. It's growing it? slower. Okay. Yeah, the population of the world uh, back in the seventies, for example, was like uh, uh, increasing by two percent. You know, like every few years. Today, that's dropped back to about one percent. So, uh, of course, unfortunately, where most of the growth rate is is in third world countries, uh, and uh, the balance there is is that in a lot of these third world countries where. Uh, the uh, pollution factor is high and where nutrition is not uh, a top priority and where medical uh, treatment is not uh, not readily available and uh, uh, you know uh, the <laughs> the uh, death rate <laughs> tends to balance out the yeah. uh, birth rate um, well but, the, uh, doesn't it stand a reason the, yeah the beauty the beauty of this scheme from the standpoint of the new world order people is that uh, they're profiting while uh, culling the population. Because when they put all of this bad stuff in our food and our water and spraying, you know, chemtrails in the air, people are breathing these uh, heavy metals, uh, you know, it is slowly working on uh, our immunization systems. So uh, they are culling the human herd both by the very elderly and by the very young. Uh, child mortality in the United States is like way down the list uh, of other countries. Yeah. And and uh, the people in the middle are just getting progressively sick and and with various weird conditions, which requires them to go to the doctor and get more pills and get more surgeries, which only <laughs> you know they're they're actually paying these people to do this to them. Hmm. Well, I guess the, the I guess uh, the question I have uh, in a sense is like if it's only reduced the growth of the population, shouldn't we really only get concerned when it starts to when it gets into the negatives? I mean, that's what they want, right? They want to actually cut the population down. So it's... Right. 
Right, but but again, it's a you know, slow process. They're trimming. Yeah. The, the, number one, they learned with the Nazis that if you try to go straight, you know, yeah, yeah, to, yeah. you know, just make a straight line and a rational move, let's just kill them. That there's going to be a backlash and they're going to have problems, a PR problem with that. So, see, all this stuff is happening. It's it's all good for you. You know, eat this gushy, sugar free, sugar filled. Treat because it's so delicious, mm. you know. And then you, you all of a sudden you weigh two hundred pounds and three hundred pounds, and right, right. You, and you have heart problems and and arteriosclerosis and all kinds of things. And uh, you know, and then you have to go get more medicine, <laughs> and then you have to get medicine to uh, counteract the <laughs> side effects of the first medicine, and you know, you just on on odd odd infinitum. Um, and so, uh, but by the doing this, see how many people. Today, uh, Tim, and stop and think that, you know, that they are offering me products and services that are basically killing me. <laughs> yeah. See, you don't think about it. And so, uh, the, uh, in the third world, their, their populations are burgeoning because they, they don't practice birth control. They have as many kids as they can because their mortality is not very good. Hmm. Uh, and, uh, in the first world countries like America, Europe, you know, they, uh, they're only reproducing themselves and even that's beginning to fall behind. Yeah. There's also the question, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the male sperm count, uh, around the world has been declining. I heard something like that, yeah. In the last 25 or 30 years. And they're saying that at the current rate, if it keeps going the way it's going and they can't even figure out what's truly causing all this. Although I would submit that it's probably due to, again, the processed food, the chemicals, and the non-nutritious stuff we're eating, and you know, plus the stress of modern life. Uh, but uh, regardless of the cause, they say that if the current trends continue, by about 2050, uh, you know, there's uh, <laughs> that's when you're going to see the population start to decline. Yeah, because because men will be basically infertile. Well, that's the, you know, you look at the whole big picture, you pull the camera further and further back, it's just scary to think, like I was saying, you know, I'm going to be 36 next week, I feel like I'm being put on to pasture, and we look at the JFK thing, that's like over 50 years now, 9-11, 14 years ago, it's like, feels like we're sort of just like bobbing along in this, in this slowly getting worse situation, and you know, I may be turning 56 in 20 years. I don't know how old you are, but maybe we'll be launching, you know, season 29. And, you know, people will it'll just slowly happen. It's very, very well, unsettling. I, I hope I'm still around to do that. <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm, oh, well, I uh, I was a grown man <laughs> when the Kennedy assassination happened, okay? Hmm. So I've lived through a lot of this change. Uh, I grew up in a free republic. You know, and unfortunately today we're not the republic anymore. Uh, in fact, when's the last time you heard a national politician refer to the republic? They don't talk about the republic anymore because we're not a republic anymore. We're a empire. We're an empire. Mm. And it's like, you know, the world's just going to get shittier and shittier, but you're still going to be able to go to the movies. You're still going to be able to watch the Super Bowl. And, and, you know, in 20 years from now, people will still be able to do that, and they'll just be used to living in a shitty world. That's the scary yep. part. yep. <laughs> but, but it's okay because you still be able to get your Big Mac and you can watch the Super Bowl on TV. Exactly. Bread, bread and circuses. Yeah, yeah, it's worrisome. So I guess a show like this is like the vegetables. You got to eat your vegetables, folks. <laughs> Every now and then you got to eat your vegetables. That's <laughs> true. Um, 
Let me see here. Population control, that's coming out in uh, in a couple months. You, didn't you reissue Crossfire uh, recently, right? Yes, in a new updated version, and I would really encourage people who are really interested in the Kennedy assassination to get the new version of Crossfire because, number one, it's up to date. It brings in the uh, the information that was found out by the um, Assassination Records Review Board. Uh, I've uh, I've got all the information showing and proving that the famous Zapruder film cannot be trusted as a uh, true depiction of the assassination. That it was doctored that very weekend and uh, at the National Photographic Interpretation Center of the CIA. Uh, I also show that the, I also published the original plat map done by the surveyors hired by the Warren Commission to survey Dealey Plaza. And, uh, and what they said and allowed me to copy their original map was that the one published by the Warren Commission has been altered and changed. Uh, they said at the time everybody connected with their study said there's no way that one man could do all this. Uh, and that's what they all determined. But of course all that got altered by the Warren Commission who came out with their cockamamie single bullet theory. Yeah. And so then I list a lot of the uh, most recent information, uh, as well as a blow-up photograph of Zapruder frame number 314 that clearly shows the driver did not shoot Kennedy. Okay. Mm. So we put to rest one of those myths. Anyway, yeah. Yes, that would be a great addition for anyone who's really interested in what really happened to John Kennedy. Nice, nice. I'll make a suggestion too. I'd like to see a reissue of Rule by Secrecy, like an updated, expanded, uh, you know, up, up, you know, up to the last like ten years added in there, because that would be that's my one of my favorite books. I give it as a Christmas gift every year. People well, are trying to. Well, if you would follow up uh, uh, Rule by Secrecy by Rise of the Fourth Reich, obviously, and yeah, then, and then the Trillion Dollar Conspiracy. And then occulted history, and now the new one, population control. Mm. It'll pretty well bring it, put it all together for you, and bring it up to date. Exactly, I get what you're saying. Yeah, so it's like those are the those are the sequel yeah, books and, for that. Yeah, in fact, I, I'm I was really bothered working on uh, population control because almost every little chapter, which is just one little chapter in this book, could actually be expanded into a book of its own. Yeah, well, that's so. There's seems... so much information out there that people are not being told about. Yeah, well, it seems like I said earlier. It seems like this new book came kind of grew out of the trillion dollar conspiracy stuff. So, uh, right, it sounds right. interesting. It's, it's follow on. Yeah, yeah. Well, I like. Uh, I gotta give you credit, Jim. I mean, I, I think I would have thrown up my hands at this point if I were you, because uh, you've <laughs> covered how how rotten things are in the world. Oh well. well I guess I, what I'm, keeps you going? What makes you hopeful about all this? Well, I'm I'm not sure I'm that hopeful. I'm ensconced in a uh, in a uh, stone house hidden away in the woods in the middle of the country with a with a cannon. <laughs> yeah. I get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. You've <laughs> you've kinda of dropped out of the whole scene just to to try and make sure you survive uh well, well I'm I'm let's just say I'm prepared. <laughs> well you gotta be, yeah. It's a worrisome well, well, situation. Well, you have to understand my motto, Tim, which is hope for the best, plan for the worst. That hits the nail right on the head, my friend. Absolutely. There you go. Absolutely. Uh, All right. Well, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show, Jim. Uh, let me run down the books once more for folks. Crossfire, Rule by Secrecy, Alien Agenda, Psy Spies, Inside Job, Above Top Secret, Rise of the Fourth Reich, The Trillion Dollar Conspiracy. Uh, any plans for another fiction book, uh, it, you know, in light of uh, Sisterhood of the Rose? Well, there's too much, uh, too much reality going on. 
to that's keeping my attention. Plus, uh, my publishers in New York say they don't want me to. They don't want to publish a, a fiction book because then everybody will say, well, look, he just writes fiction. He's just making all this other stuff up. Oh, geez, that's not Which fair. I don't necessarily buy. But, yeah. Uh, um, and also Our Occulted History and then Population Control coming out sometime this spring. Find out more at JimMars.com. Jim, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. I really do uh, give you so much credit. If it wasn't for Rule by Secrecy, uh, you know, serendipitously turning me on to all this, I, I wouldn't be doing this for so long, and uh, you really helped launch well, my I'm, interest in this, and that's why we have you on every season to launch the show. Well, I appreciate it, and just remember this. There's more of us than there are of them, and if we'll simply uh, educate ourselves and take action, we can overcome all the bad things. That sounds good to me, buddy. Hey, I'll talk Thanks. to you uh, soon for uh, to kick off Season 10. It'll be a big celebration, <laughs> I promise. All right.